Lord, I pray that you might speak through this jar of clay. And I know that uh, the only adequacy any of us has to represent you is you. We can put the work in, Lord, but if it's not you speaking, if you're not the one who superintends what we do, if you're not the one who acts, uh, then they labor in vain who build the house. So, uh, Father, I hand this all over to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you want to know what uh, what God intends for you to do in this earthly life, you'll find plenty of those things in the Bible. And they will keep you very busy from now on. But with all that busyness, if all you get from the Bible is what God intends for you to do, then you'll never actually you'll never actually do any of those things on his terms. You'll never do them in a manner that's acceptable to him. If you want to actually do what God intends for you to do as his representative on this earth, then there's something more that you have to know. You have to know not just what the Bible tells you to do, but what the Bible tells you to know. Okay? See, uh, there's this popular concept, especially among modern evangelical Christianity, that doctrine is a four-letter word. And if you've not been around long enough to know what that means, that means, you know, like a curse word, like something to be avoided. And that reality, real life, doctrine's kind of separated from that. But that's not how it works, guys. The teaching, the instruction of God's Word is life to us. And that's front and center in this prayer that Jesus prays. There are things that you and I need to know. This passage is not predominantly applicational. It is overwhelmingly doctrinal because it is Jesus talking to His Father about us. The things that He declared to His Father and requested of His Father in this amazing prayer are right up there at the top of the list of things that you and I need to know. We said last week, Jesus was very intentional about making sure His disciples heard (laughs) what He was saying to His Father. This is not the only time that He did that, but it, it is critical here that they heard every single word that He said. And it's critical that we know those things too. John has given them to it, preserved them for us. The Holy Spirit has preserved them, given to us by John. After Jesus departed this earth and ascended to His Father, these men, these 11 men, would be the first generation of Jesus' agents, of His ambassadors on earth. His plan was to use these 11 guys and one other man named Saul of Tarsus that He would add to the roster of His disciples after His resurrection to use them to pluck millions of people out of darkness and death and bring them into light and life forever. He would use many others along the way, including many in this room. But that all started with these 11 men whom he had been diligently preparing for the last three years to advance his kingdom after his departure. And it was it was going to be very rough sailing for them because thanks to Jesus, they were now enemies of the culture in which they lived. 
They were no longer from around here. They started out from around here, but now they weren't from around here. And that simple reality is a huge factor in this prayer in verses 6 to 19 as Jesus prays to his Father for his disciples. In just a moment, I'll show you where we're going to go this morning, but before I show you the outline, I want to make sure we're on the same page on this particular point. Jesus presented this prayer to his Father on this unprecedented night in human history because he knew that they had a need that only his Father could meet. And you and I, if we belong to Jesus, we have that very same compelling need that Jesus is addressing in this prayer. In verse 6, as Jesus moves from praying for Himself, that the Father might now glorify Him with the glory that belonged to Him before the worlds existed, He says to His Father, I manifested Your name to the men You gave Me out of the world. And then in verse 11, He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to You. In verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them and they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. And then two verses later, he repeats himself word for word. He says, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. And beloved, when Jesus repeats himself word for word, we need to be paying attention. That little phrase, the world occurs 13 times in these 14 verses. And 18 times in this one chapter. That's the highest density of that phrase anywhere in the Bible. You know why that little bit of information is so important to the point of this prayer? Because Jesus was leaving these men who were no longer of this world, who were now hated by this world, in this world, so that through them He would save countless others out of this world. It was going to be a pitched battle from start to finish. And these men were going to wake up every single morning behind enemy lines. Jesus was going to leave. He had to. That was all in the, in the plan from before eternity. Before everything existed in eternity past. He was going to perfectly finish his assignment from his father the next day. He would declare it finished. But they, his disciples, had to stay. Their assignment was just getting started and they were going to need some serious, serious protection and provision. Jesus was keenly aware of the magnitude of that need and that's what this prayer, beloved, that's what this prayer is about. He's handing over the keeping, the caretaking and protecting of His beloved disciples to His Father. See, His Father had given Him a gift. And He was entrusting that gift back into the hands of His Father for a while. Turned out to be a long while. He's asking His Father to keep that which Jesus had been lovingly and diligently keeping throughout His ministry to keep watch over the Father's gift to the Son. By the way, I'm sure heard before Ephesians 1, 13, 14, what the down payment of our inheritance is? The Holy Spirit, right? 
first part of all the rest that God's going to give us. And that if, if the down payment's a person, it makes sense that, that the inheritance is a person, right? The triune God in His kingdom, with Him forever. Well, Jesus has an inheritance too. Do you know that? You know what His inheritance is? Us. And these 11 guys were the down payment. The word keep, the word keep pervades this passage. There's a whole lot of keeping going on and it's exceedingly important that we understand what that word means. John 6, verses 39 and 40, Jesus said, This is the will of Him who sent Me, that of all that He has given Me, I lose nothing, but raise it all up on the last day. And then in the next verse He says, This is the will of My Father, that whoever beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I Myself will raise Him up on the last day. See, that verse, that those two verses say that you and I who belong to Christ, we are a gift from the Father to the Son. And Jesus is handing that gift back to His Father in this prayer to take care of. Alright, here's my outline for this morning. There are three parts to the, to this prayer in John 6 to 19, and it's not, this is thematic, not structural. In other words, you're not going to say these three verses are this part and these three verses are this part. These themes are interspersed throughout the passage. First, in this prayer, we see Jesus' affirmation to his Father, and his affirmation is, I kept those you gave to me. There are two parts to that keeping. I kept them in your name, and I gave them your word. The second theme in this prayer is the fruit that Jesus bore for His Father. And that is that the kept became keepers. He says, they kept your word. I gave them your word. They kept your word. And they trusted in your name. And finally, His request of His Father. This is this is the punchline. The, the heart of this prayer is what Jesus is asking of His Father. Father, keep them as I kept them. Keep them in Your name and sanctify them in Your Word. And you'll see that, in, that the sub-points in all three of those big points are essentially the same. His name and His Word. First, Jesus' affirmation to the Father. Verse 6, He says, I have manifested Your name to the men that You gave to Me out of the world. They were Yours. You gave them to Me and they have kept your word. You'll notice in that verse that the name and the word are both mentioned together. But for a moment, let's focus our attention on the first part of that. I manifested your name. In verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given to me. And then jumping ahead just a little bit, if you go to the last verse of this chapter that we'll look at next time, verse 26, Jesus says, I have made your name known to them. So if you, if you put together his prayer for the disciples and then his prayer for, in the last part, for everyone who comes to faith through the word of his disciples, that long section begins and ends with Jesus' declaration that he made God's name known to those he was going to save. What do those statements mean? I have manifested your name to them. I was keeping them in your name. I have made your name known to them. Well, as we've talked about many times in this Gospel, the name of God means 
the character of God. It means who God is, what God is like. To put it in the simplest terms, when Jesus said, Father, I manifested or displayed Your name to those that You gave to Me, He was saying, I showed them who You are. Remember back in John 14, Jesus said to His disciples, if You had known Me, if You had known Me, (laughs) You would have known My Father also. From now on, You do know Him. And You have seen Him. Because You have seen Me. And then He said, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. Talked about this last time, but guys, everything that we need to know while we're here about God, we've been told and we've been shown. We're not waiting for Him to reveal something else. He's done it. Jesus perfectly revealed the character and way of His Father to His disciples. That's what He means when He said, I manifested Your name to them. But what does He mean when He says, I kept them in Your name? I was keeping them in Your name the whole time I was here. Here's all of verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in Your name which You have given Me, and I guarded them. That word is synonymous to the word keep. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. And I don't believe there that he's just saying only one of them died physically. See, Judas was already dead spiritually. And these guys were already alive spiritually. They had already passed out of death into life through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I kept them. I guarded them. You gave them to me, and I kept them. What does it mean to be kept in the name of the Father? I believe that based on this and many other passages, it means that Jesus, Jesus perfect in the flesh revelation of the character of God is His protection and provision for His disciples. It is the very heart of God's protection and provision for us. What that means is that beholding God and knowing God personally in the person of Jesus Christ, that is our protection and that is our provision for this life. That's how we are kept by God. Jesus said, I was keeping them in the name which you have given to me. They shared that name. Both literally and spiritually. Because Jesus is Yahweh too. Nobody has ever displayed to human beings the weightiness, the incomparable value and worth and merit of who God is as perfectly and as fully as Jesus did. That perfect revelation of God that we find only in Christ, that is our protection. That's how we're kept by God. But that revelation that causes us to know God personally is both an in-person revelation and in-words revelation. It is in person and it is in words. And the second part of Jesus' declaration that He kept this gift for His Father is that He he gave them the Father's Word. Verse 7, He says, now they have come to know 
that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them. And they truly understood that I, I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. In verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. See, this is not, the second point is not a, a second matter from the first one. Jesus manifested the Father's name to His disciples and kept them in that name. And we cannot separate that personal revelation of God's character, God's name, from Jesus' declaration of God's Word. God has declared Himself, He has revealed Himself to mankind both personally and propositionally. Both personally and propositionally. And the in-person revelation of God is not somehow distinct or separate from the in-words revelation of God. It's one revelation. Now this is really important for us who are children and agents of God to understand. See, the propositions about God in the written Word declare the exact same things about God that we hear and see in the person of the incarnate Word. The written Word and the Word who became flesh. There's a reason in John 1 that Jesus is repeatedly called the Word. You and I cannot see and touch the living God as the disciples did. We can't even hear His words in the form of sound waves striking our ears. But make no mistake, beloved, the Holy Spirit whom Jesus promised would take, quote, take of mine and disclose it to you is still doing exactly that in the life of every child of God every single time that that child is exposed to the propositional revelation concerning Christ. And that means this book. As Tim Keller so aptly puts it, you can know the Bible without knowing God, but you cannot know God without knowing the Bible. If you think we oversell that point at CBC, I have some bad news for you. Because we're not planning to lighten up or chill out when it comes to the absolute centrality of knowing the Word of the Lord in order to know the Lord of the Word. There's a reason that that stained glass up there is arranged the way that it is. On the left it says loving God. On the right it says loving my neighbor. And in the middle, with both of those, is a representation of the Bible. Because you can't get to either of those other two if you don't know God. And you can't know God if you do not receive His Word concerning Himself. We are kept by the Word. Alright, Jesus did two things under His affirmation. He says, I kept those whom you gave to me. I kept them in your name. I kept them, I gave them your word and kept them in your word. Second is his fruit for his father. And that is, the fruit is that the kept became keepers. He says, they kept your word. And I'll remind you that the word keep that Jesus uses over and over in this gospel and over and over in this prayer, it it doesn't mean what sometimes we think it means. 
It means to keep watch over as one keeps watch over a precious treasure. That's what the word keep means. There's a kind of default definition that we tend to apply when we hear Jesus say, they kept your word. We are prone to reduce the meaning of that powerful phrase to something like, they did what you told them to do. When we do that, we reduce the keeping of God's word to the act of obedience when it's actually talking about the heart that produces the act of obedience. See, that heart is the heart of understanding and faith and love. It's the heart that beholds God in His Word and comes thereby to know God and to find Him worthy of all faith and affection and joyful obedience. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. Right after He says they have kept your Word in verse 6, listen to what He says in verses 7 and 8. He says, now they have come to know that everything that you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I gave to them. And they received them. And they truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. Received, understood, and believed. I'm convinced that those three added verbs here amplify the meaning of the word kept. This is how they kept God's Word. They received, they understood, and they believed. Everything that that those divine words of Christ proclaimed, and what those words proclaimed, what all of God's Word proclaims, is the truth concerning our great God and Savior. It's about Him. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life, but you know what you find in them? You find Me. Jesus kept the disciples in His Father's Word. And the outcome for the disciples of His obedience to that assignment was that His his disciples kept, they guarded and treasured and cherished His Word like a precious treasure. Right. The response of men and women to the Word of God divides humanity into two categories throughout this Gospel. There are those who keep the Word of God and there are those who reject the Word of God. There's no middle ground in this Gospel. Those who keep the Word of God do so because of the person who is revealed in it. That person is their life. Those who reject the Word of God do so precisely because they reject that person. The reason that we who belong to Jesus keep, guard, cherish His Word as a priceless treasure is not because it answers the great questions about life, the universe, and everything. It's not because it helps us win arguments with unbelievers. It's not even because it tells us what to do. We keep watch over His Word as a priceless treasure because it reveals Him to us. See, it's personal. It's personal. And if if when you come to the Word, if it's not personal, if it's academic, if it's to know stuff instead of to know Him, you need to change your approach. And by the way, if you do, it's like a whole different book. We come to the Word of the Lord to meet the Lord of the Word. 
That's why He gave it to us. <laughs> that connection between keeping, guarding the Word concerning Christ and loving Christ is undeniable in this Gospel. Back in John 14, He said, If anyone loves Me, He will keep My Word. And My Father will love Him. And we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. Back all the way up to Deuteronomy 6. Right? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And from that foundation of love, then you handle the Word rightly. He says, then you, you talk of, you'll speak of this Word when you sit down and when you rise up and you, when you walk by the way. You'll talk to your kids about it. You'll wear it and have it with you all the time. Why? Because you love the one who gave it to you. Because it shows you Him. It's personal. The disciples heard the Word of God directly from the source, and they were at the same time beholding the One who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. They had the name of God standing in front of them, and they had the Word of God proclaimed by this One who bore the name of God. They had all of it. And so do we. They kept His Word and they trusted in His name. The fruit of Jesus' flawless stewardship of keeping His disciples in His name and giving them His, his Father's Word is that they held tightly to that Word and they trusted in that name. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 one more time, this time to consider the response of the disciples to the name that had been revealed to them by Jesus. Listen to this. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them. And they truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. You see what's going on there? See, the disciples beheld the name of God in Christ and they heard the Word of God from Christ and they came to know and receive and understand and believe that the Son's name is the Father's name. That it's the same name. And they put their trust in that name. The Bible is the Father's testimony, His witness to the Son. And they believed that witness. All right, the third theme in this prayer for his disciples is his request of his Father. This is where he gets down to what he's actually asking. And he asks his Father, Father, keep them just as I kept them. First, keep them in your name. John 17 and 11, I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. And then listen to this. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. We'll have a lot more to say about that unity next time, but Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name that you have given me. And then he says, I was keeping them in that name. <laughs> now it's your turn. <laughs> his address to his father as Holy Father is wonderfully important here. You remember the prayer that He taught His disciples to pray back in the Sermon on the Mount? 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what the word hallowed means? It means holy. It means set apart. See, holy in reference to God means of the Creator rather than of the creature. Set apart from the common. Set apart from the created. Set apart from everything that is under the curse. God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, other than His creation. Jesus declares that He kept His disciples in that holy name. They were set apart unto the One who is set apart. And now He asks His Father to keep them set apart unto Him. They had beheld and received and understood and believed that the Father's name is the Son's name. They knew the character of their God. Now Jesus asks His Father to keep them, to watch over them in His holy name. Their relationship with God the Father would be their protection and provision just as their relationship with the Son had been. Jesus' second request of His Father on behalf of the disciples is like the other side of that same coin. Uh, it is inseparable from the first. The second part of, the, of what He's asking His Father is sanctify them in Your Word. Verse 17. Sanctify them in Your Word. Your Word is truth. As You sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify Myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now the word sanctify is from the same Hebrew root as the word holy that Jesus used when He addressed His Father in verse 11. He said, Holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given to Me. And then He said, Sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. He's saying, make them like You. Make them like You. What is it that ultimately sets us apart, sanctifies us, sets us apart from this world, sets us apart unto God? Jesus tells us right here. It's the truth. And we call all kinds of things truth. <laughs> but God doesn't. When God uses the word truth, you know what He's always talking about? Himself. Always. When He says the truth, the truth, He's always talking about Himself. Everything that He has made known about Himself is truth. And where do we encounter that truth, the truth. Well, in John 8, Jesus said, If you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then a few verses later, He said, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The truth shall make you free. The Son shall make you free because the Son is the truth. You want to know the truth about God? He, we've already been over this, right? You want to know the truth about God? Look at the Son. He who has seen the Father, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And now he says unflinchingly, Father, your word is truth. That includes the written word and it includes the word that John talked about in the prologue. The word who became flesh. The word who was with God in the beginning and was God from forever and who 
came and dwelt among us and showed us God. We beheld His glory. The written Word and the incarnate Word give us the whole truth and nothing but the truth. If you have any doubts about that, again, go back and look at the prologue in John 1, verses 1-18. through 18. God has revealed His name, His character through His written Word and through His incarnate Word, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus is saying to His Father, Holy Father, You gave these disciples to Me out of the world. Now set them apart. Make them holy for Yourself. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. The personal, intimate knowledge of God protects us. It guards us. It keeps us in Him until the day that we are freed from all the threats of this world and stand in His holy presence. And the Word that reveals His name to us keeps us in Him and protects us and guards us until that same day. They're not two things. They're one. We know the name of God by beholding Him in His Word. And Jesus is saying, Father, I gave all that to, to, to the ones You gave to Me. Now, keep them in that. That's how they'll get through. That's how they'll live behind enemy lines every day and win. doesn't mean that they won't get killed bodily. But it means they'll have the victory and it means nothing, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor powers nor any other created thing will be able to separate them from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus because that's what this is all about. The God who loves us and made us His eternal possession. His treasure. I already read John 6, 39 and 40. Jesus said, of all that He has given me, I will lose nothing. You guys are familiar with John 10, verses 27 to 31. My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Peter says, because that's your hope, <laughs> you and I get to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. One of my brothers on Wednesday said a very simple statement. I love it. He said, we can't keep ourselves. God has to keep us. And it's cool as we talked about that in the worship this morning. 
He is ever faithful. Guys, he gave a gift to his son, and he's not taking it back. God does not renege on his gift to his beloved son. That isn't going to happen. We are kept. We are kept. And nothing can change that. So the good news is that the father's answer to his son's request is yes. Loving Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with this, this amazing love. That you sent your name bearer, Jesus Christ, the one who, who has from eternity past shared your name, your character, your way, from heaven to earth to show us what you're like. And he, while he was here, kept his disciples in that, in that name. He kept showing them you and He kept drawing them in and He made Himself their life. And Father, You're still doing that. You're still doing that for every son and daughter that You've received to Yourself. Jesus gave Himself for us to deliver us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. You will see to it, Father, that that keeping continues until the day we stand in Your glorious presence. For that, Lord, we are, we are eternally grateful and we are filled with joy and we, we thank You in Jesus' precious name.